Good morning. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Derek, and I'm one of the pastors here at Grace, and I want to welcome you. If this is your first time or your first time in a long time, we are tying a bow on a sermon series called Thriving Under Pressure. We have been looking at uh, the story of a man named Joseph, and this is not the Joseph of the Christmas story with Mary and the baby Jesus, but this is Joseph we find in the um, Old Testament in the book of Genesis. And um, we've been talking for a number of weeks about Joseph's life, and we had this, this whole baseball theme, and, and there's these different bases that, that we run in terms of all these, these pressure-filled things that happen to us and how God uses them in our lives. And so today, we are going to be looking at one final pressure-filled thing that, that hits Joseph. It's a, kind of one last piece of adversity that we find in the very last chapter of the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 50. And um, so, but just, just to catch you up, in case you're not familiar with this, one of the, um, one of the, the oldest characters in the Bible, Joseph, um, he, is, he is Joseph of Joseph in the Technicolor Dreamcoat, right? He is the favored son of his father, but that leads to all sorts of problems, including um, being hated, totally despised by his brothers, to the point where they actually try and kill him. They throw him down a cistern. When that doesn't work and he survives that, they decide, let's torture him for the rest of his life and sell him into slavery in Egypt. And that's exactly what they do. Um, So if that isn't bad enough, he's in slavery in Egypt. He is falsely accused by his master's wife, and he lands in prison. So now he's in prison, he's trying to help people and serve people, he is largely forgotten in prison until um, he basically is discovered by Pharaoh because he, God's given him this gift of interpreting dreams. And so this leads him actually to be on Pharaoh's court, to be one of Pharaoh's officials, the number two guy in Egypt. And um, so quite a story, but he still is left to deal with because there's this massive famine and Joseph is in charge of the feeding program. He is still is left to deal with his family coming to visit, being reunited with his brothers who did all these terrible things to him. So there's all this adversity that Joseph faces in his life. And so this morning we're going to look at one final thing that Joseph has to deal with, and that is the passing of his father. He has to say goodbye To his dad. And so we pick it up in Genesis 50, verses 1 through 3. So his dad's just died, and it says that Joseph threw himself on his father and wept over him and kissed him. Then Joseph directed the physicians in his service to embalm his father Israel. So the physicians embalmed him, taking a full 40 days, for that was the time required for embalming. And the Egyptians mourned for him. 70 days. So if you died in Egypt, what would happen is they would take all of your internal organs and they would remove those. They would place the body in an embalming fluid to preserve the body so that it was in good shape when it would be reunited with the soul. That was what the Egyptian belief and practice was. So that took 40 days, kind of embalming, grieving, mourning, and then there was an additional 30 days of grieving that took place. So we're at 70 days. And at that point, Joseph tells King Pharaoh that he has promised his father he would bury him in his homeland of Canaan. And so the text tells us that the entire, like every one of Pharaoh's officials decides they're going to go and honor Joseph's father in this funeral. So there's this massive processional, this who's who of Egypt, all traveling to Canaan for Joseph's father's funeral. 
And it says in verse 10, when they reached the threshing floor of Atad near the Jordan, they lamented loudly and bitterly. And there Joseph observed a seven day period of mourning for his father. Why, why do they do this here? What was the deal with that timing? Well, here's the deal. They got to the entrance to the land of Canaan. So symbolically now they're about to cross into the land where they were going to do the burial. And at that spot, they said, okay, this is time to observe a formal and intense time of grieving and mourning over this loss. Today in the Jewish faith, some of you know what the term is for this, this seven-day period. It's called sitting shiva, sitting shiva. And when you sit shiva, the tradition continues to this day, Basically, all you do, this is important to, to, to think about, all you do for seven days is you focus on grieving. Okay, that's it. Grieving and being comforted. You don't go out, you basically hunker down in one spot, and you don't go out, you don't work, you don't bathe unless it's absolutely necessary. You don't do anything to distract you from a vital human process that today in our society we are neglecting more and more and that is the period of grieving over a loss so incredibly important to grieve speaking of grieving um, I will never forget my second date with my lovely wife Becky so it was in college I had been courting her we'd been friends all through college and I, I had been courting her uh, for a whole semester. Finally, she broke up with her, uh, this guy she was dating. And so I had my opportunity. It was beautiful. I seized it. First date, total disaster. We drove an hour to our destination. The place was closed. I had no backup plan except for milkshakes at the local gas station. And I was determined, second date, we're going to do it. We are going to do it right. So this is 1999. A very famous movie came out then. You guys remember what it was? Titanic. Yes. I'm thinking, guys, listen, listen, this is perfect. We got like the romantic chick flick kind of deal going on. We've also got adventure, action, death, you know, it's going to be cool too. So this has to be the greatest date movie ever. It just fell into my lap. I'm like, I can't screw this up. How do you screw up a movie? You know what I'm saying? So we go down to the local movie theater. We're having our date. Everything is going so great until that ship hit the iceberg. Now, here's the thing. It's not like it was a surprise. I mean, everybody knows the Titanic hit the iceberg and it sunk. And like most of the people died. It was terrible. It was a tragedy. Mentally, I knew this, you guys. But here's the thing. Emotionally, I was not prepared for what Hollywood was going to do to me. And listen... I'm not talking about these two and I was crying over their little Hollywood fictitious romance on the ship. No, 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 no. That didn't move me at all. Real people died. This was a real story. So the ship hits the iceberg. We're sitting in the movie. Everything's going great. I'm the man. Second date. I got this thing nailed. All of a sudden, I'm like, okay, it hit the ship. I'm starting to realize lifeboats, people, this is crazy. I'm starting to feel sad. Next thing I know, first warning sign, you guys, you know what the first warning sign is? <laughs> So, you know, she looks over, because we've been friends for a long time. She looks over, and she's like, you okay? I'm like, oh, yeah, it's just a little dusty, or I don't know, allergies. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> All good. Well, then, a little bit further in the movie, people are getting a little bit more desperate. The music's getting more intense. 
My eyes start welling up. I'm starting to get like, you know, like, and I'm like, oh, geez, you know, I'm kind of like, kind of, she's over here and I'm just, I do the quick lean over, you know, just dab the eyes. Yeah, everything's good. Yeah, I'm the man. It's cool. We're good. Well, then, you guys remember this part of the movie where they seal off the lower levels? Do you, do you remember that? To try and save the ship? And they basically just said, these people will, we're going to be done anyway, but they, they sealed them off. Those people were doomed. And you could see the panic and you could see these families and women and children and all this stuff. And this was real, you know? So I'm looking at this, you guys, and I'm trying to stay strong, man. Date number two, I'm the man. Come on, you don't, you don't do this on like the kind of the first real date you've had. Next thing I know, I'm looking straight ahead. Just focus, stay calm, stay calm. Next thing I know, And it wasn't the full, like, <laughs> I wasn't, like, boohooing, okay? But, like, still, it was the, <laughs> it was the lung thing. You know, the lung thing. That's not a good thing to be doing that. Well, like I said, my wife and I, um, well, my girlfriend at the time, whatever, for a second date, whatever it was, she looks over at me, and she's got a hilarious sense of humor, and so she looks over at me, and she's, like, kind of playfully, and she's like, are you crying? <laughs> At which point, I'm like, okay, Captain Obvious, like, <laughs> yes, you know? I was like, yeah, I'm crying. This is really sad, you know? She was crying too, but somehow that was okay for her, you know? So if I had to replay that moment in my life again, to truly be the man on the second date, okay? And just for any of you out here, guys, and you're, you have a future second date coming up, and you have this exact same experience, okay? I'm going to give you a little advice that my neighbor gave to me, a good friend of mine. He said, if you ever get into a situation where there's like this awkwardness and something about you gets exposed or observed, and what you really want to do in that moment is you want to retreat into the shadows. Like, you want to pretend it didn't happen. You just kind of want to explain it away. He goes, do not dare do that. He says, what you need to do, and all of my blackjack playing friends will love this reference. He says, what you do is you double down. In that moment, don't back away, you double down. And what I mean by this is this is what I would do if I had to, if I had to li relive that moment again. When she said, are you crying? I'd be like, you're darn right I'm crying. I, I am the man here, okay? Let me tell you something. This is tragic, okay? This is real lives. This is important stuff. And let me tell you something. I am comfortable enough as a man to be able to express my real emotions. I don't have to bury them. I don't have to bottle them up. I am comfortable in my own skin, baby, because this is what real men do. Real men, we're comfortable enough to cry at a movie, okay? That's what we do. You double down. Don't shrink back. Double down. Own it. Okay? Now here's the thing. How often, especially in our society today, how often, this plagues men, but it's not just guys, it's, it's women as well. How often when we experience loss or grief or frustration or anger or whatever kind of adversity, disappointment comes our way, whatever it is, how often do we sit there and try and go, suck it up. It's okay. Keep looking forward, right? We, you know what we do? We bottle it. Um, can, I, can I have a favor? I need that right there, sir. Could you please grab that for me? Oh, yeah, that's what I really need. That. Okay. There we go. Thank you. And what we, 
what we do is we stay strong, don't we? You know, it's, I don't need to come unglued right now. I need to stay strong for certain people. Or it's no good for me to totally fly off and have a huge mess or whatever. And so we bottle it. It's kind of like we're a Coke bottle. And what happens is it's like that Coca-Cola comes, comes flooding in. The feelings, the thoughts, the emotions, the, the disappointments, the struggles, whatever. They come in and they fill up us up. And we say, you know what we're going to do? We're going to cap it. We're just going to cap it off. We're going to suck it up. Stay strong, baby, because that's the American way. Now, here's the problem with that. Life continues, doesn't it? And the daily grind and the pressures of life start to build, don't they? Front row, you're going to start to wake up real quick because we're about to do something really cool on stage, okay? All of a sudden, I have your full attention. It's great. But life starts to happen. Now, the great thing about the Coke bottle is what? No problem, right? Coke bottle sealed. Are we, are we Coke bottles? Okay, how do we handle real disappointments and real pressures? I mean, when things get really shaken up. Front row. Front row. Feel free to move. All right, there she goes. I love it. That's awesome. Are we like a Coke bottle? Who wants to see a demonstration? Raise your hand. Nobody here is raising their hand. Oh, we got one. He wants, I should let you open it. Um, okay, we know what happens. I'm, I'm going to spare you, okay? You're like, I'm never coming back to this church again, ever, never sitting front row, okay? We know what happens, right? One of two things. We bottle it all up, life continues, there's either a massive explosion, right? We've had those. Or there's this little and we just like leak all over people. You got a leaker in your life? You know what I'm saying? Somebody who's bottled stuff up? You can't. You're not a Coke bottle. This, it will not work. God never designed us to be this way. We must grieve. We must grieve. This is what Joseph does here. He grieves. And this is what I want to, just very simple question that I want to ask you. Is there something in your life that you need to grieve? I'm not just talking about grieving the passing of somebody in your life, you know, who, who you've lost. I think much bigger than that. This could be you're grieving the loss of, of a great friendship that just kind of withered away or, or you, you, something happened and, the, and that relationship ended. Maybe it's a romantic interest. Maybe it's some career opportunity that you were so convinced or some school thing you were so convinced this was the deal and you realize it's not the deal anymore some hope or dream, and it's been altered, it's been changed, it's been shifted. Is there something that you need to grieve? Have you fully processed it, or have you just bottled it, and you think that somehow it's going to go away? Because the reality is, and we all know this, by the people around us who've bottled stuff, it doesn't go away. Now, one of the beautiful things about the Christian faith is that it reminds us that when we grieve, we're not just grieving in a corner by ourselves somewhere or processing something and nobody really understands our grief. But you got to understand this about the Christian faith. When we grieve, God is with us. One of my favorite excerpts 
from the Psalms, these incredible inspired prayers that we find in the Old Testament of the Bible. In the 34th Psalm, it's 18 verses in, it says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. It's close to the brokenhearted. What an awesome, awesome little verse there. The reality is that when we grieve, God is with us in that process in a special way. And you know why I believe that God is with us in a special way? Because, and again, you may not, you may be here and you don't fully, you know, buy into the whole Christian faith thing. You're still trying to figure that whole thing out. But here's what Christianity proclaims. That actually God was not satisfied to dwell in the heavenlies somewhere and remain a mystery, but instead came to this earth in the person of Jesus Christ and now knows our suffering, knows what it's like to walk the human life. And that God, in a very special way, in a real way, is with us in our grieving. And so it's not just about grieving alone, but we can actually grieve knowing that God is with us in that process, understanding maybe the thing that nobody else gets. Nobody else understands your grief. Nobody else, they, they, you, you know they're listening, but you know they're just humoring you. They're nodding their head, but you know they don't totally get it. Here's the truth. There is a God who knows and fully understands, and not just that, is grieved with you. That's powerful, you guys. So is there something that you need to grieve? Let's continue on with the story. So in verse 14, it says that after burying his father, Joseph returned to Egypt. He returned. He didn't stay in the land of Canaan. Joseph had his time to grieve, and then he had his time to leave. And it's very important that we see how healthy this pattern is. There's grieving, and then there's leaving. There's no formula, there's no this many days, this many years, you know, that's completely specific and individual, that's personal to every single person, what that process looks like. There are some of us here, and we, more than anything else, we need to take time to grieve something we haven't fully processed through. But there are others of us who are here, and what we need to do more than anything is to realize, you know what? Maybe, and only God can whisper this to you, and I'm not here to say that I'm telling you this is your time, but maybe, just maybe, it's time to leave that grieving and focus on leaving. Because there's something really tragic that happens to us when we can't move on. And we, we know people like that, right? Who can't move on. They get stuck in the past. And it's a really sad thing. So um, some of you know that I am a diehard Lionel Richie fan. <laughs> now, I mean, who isn't really, though? Because the guy's just brilliant, one of the greatest artists ever, musical genius. I mean, and I'm not just talking about like Motown and the Commodores and like Uptown Funk. No, that's not, that's not Lionel, is it? But um, what's the song? Brick House. Brick House, yeah. Not just that stuff. I'm talking about like mid 1980s, like easy listening, like just soulful, awesome music. Easy like Sunday morning. Hello. 
uh, stuck on you. You are the sun, you are the rain. Penny lover, all night long. I mean, I could go on and on. I don't, we don't have all day, so I gotta, I gotta stop, okay? But I, here's the thing. I got really into Lionel Richie in college. I don't know, some people do crazy stuff in college. This was my crazy thing, okay? I got into Lionel Richie. I just got my whole fraternity kind of excited about Lionel Richie. It was really, it was really bizarre. But anyway, I still love listening to Lionel Richie. The man is deep, okay? Listen to his music. You know you do anyway, so just... All right, listen. So, I have three elementary school children. Three elementary children. They are very much into today's hit music. Okay? You think there's a rub there when I put on some Lionel Richie in my house? Oh, yeah. oh man. They do, not, they do not appreciate the Lionel Richie. And there's complaining and turn it off and, you know, and all this kind of stuff. But now... I would, I would kind of shirk back, maybe apologize, be a little embarrassed, but what do I do now? Oh, I double down, baby. I double down. This is what I'm telling you. If you get nothing else out of this, this is just free today. You know, just double down, okay? So when they're really carrying on and having a problem with Lionel Richie, which is by far the best music that, that gets played today, I think, in my house, uh, what I decide to do is I try to, I bust out, I have this, this shirt, this T-shirt that I absolutely love. It is so, you know you have those t-shirts that are really soft and comfortable? Like they just sit on you, right? You know what I'm saying? This, this is a dual threat shirt because not only is it super soft and comfortable, I wear it all the time. <laughs> so get, a good, get a good look. Get a good look. Okay? There it is. Okay? I wear this shirt all the time. When I wear this shirt... My kids want to crawl under a rock and die. <laughs> Completely mortified, okay? Every time I wear the shirt. I think it's the sweater that he's wearing. I don't know exactly, but something about it just does not work for them. So, um, last summer, I went with some of my fraternity brothers to um, the Lionel Richie concert at Wolf Trap. Can't believe he wasn't at a bigger venue. I don't get, you know, I don't get that, but... but um, Anyway, I guess he wanted it smaller. He's just limiting the, you know, the crowds and everything. So we're at Wolf Trap, and, and I had my own moment where I kind of had this, this bit of an epiphany. And I realized, oh my goodness, I'm the youngest person here by 30 years with the exception of my friends. Maybe I'm stuck in the past. Maybe my kids have something going when they're, when they're telling me all this stuff, you know, that they're mortified. So... Maybe it's time for me to leave 1980s and move into the present. Now, if you're here this morning, I just want to ask you, is there something that you need to leave? Is it possible that maybe um, you're still stuck in a cycle of reliving something that happened a little too long ago to be healthy for you still to be grieving that thing? And again... Only God can really confirm this moment, and I'm not here to judge. I don't know the level of pain and the level of tragedy, and I'm not here to say or to put any sort of a time limit on it. It could be years that you need to process certain things. Years and years and years. Only you know. But I will tell you this. Other people know. Other people know as well. Because there are those of us who are here, and the reality is, just like Joseph went to that funeral and then he... He left, came back to Egypt. There are some of us 
and we're the only ones left at the graveside. Everybody else is done, gone, and moved on. And we're still there. And essentially now we can't move on. You know why? Because now our new identity is found in what happened to us. And what started as a healthy process of grieving and processing and venting, has now def- it now defines us. And we actually don't know how to exist without that, that thing, that mark, that chip. And we don't really like it, but we don't know how to move on from it. And what I'm here to just maybe encourage you to think about or, or considering asking God today is, God, am I stuck? Do, do I need to leave something behind? Forget about how it's going to work and what it's going to look like and what the heck you're going to talk about, you know, going forward. But is there something, God, that I need to leave behind? God will help you work it out from there. But the very first step is figuring out if there's something that you need to leave. Now, um, we see in the second part of Genesis chapter 50 that this pattern of grieving and leaving actually repeats itself. And I've included some verses in your outline, but we, we don't have time to go through those. I'll just tell you that that grieving and leaving is involved in him forgiving his brothers for what they did to him. And um, if you want to look at those verses uh, at, at some other point, feel free to do that. You can take a look at that later. But I wanted to make sure that I saved time to share uh, a personal story to kind of close us out. And then the music team's going to come up and, and uh, close us with a final song. So I have, a, I have a friend. Her name is Laura. And uh, Laura and I went to seminary together. And we were both working and going to school. So it took us like almost a decade to, to do that. And the, the seminary I went was a small seminary. So we were in a lot of classes together. So we just became friends. She actually is now um, working as a children's pastor in a church in Falls Church. So um, she's got a, just a great family. She's married, three kids. Um, they're all out of the house at this point. Her youngest son is named Brett. And, and the, her kids are all great, but Brett has always been like the, the, the shining star athlete. And ever since Brett was young, he's always just been on the move and running, using his legs, his body, and um, always had dreams of being a professional soccer player. Is very good at soccer. Uh, always dreamed of getting to a Division I school, uh, getting in, and, and he actually was able to get into a Division I school playing soccer. Started five games his freshman year. I mean, this is a big deal. Um, his sophomore year, he transferred to Penn State and um, was part of the soccer team. And, and actually, his sophomore year, the very uh, last game of the season, they were in, in the, the opening round playoff game, and um, he scored the game-winning goal right at the end. Um, and so just, you know, the kid on the rise, with the, all these hopes and dreams, uh, Mr. Mr. Soccer, Mr. Athlete, um, and just, just a great kid, you know, just a great, a great guy. Well, um, over Christmas break, just, just this past Christmas, um, Laura and her family were up at uh, Liberty Mountain, Ski Liberty. <coughs> and they... Um, the, the, her son was, was doing some snowmobiling. And he just went off a very routine, no big deal jump, kind of hit the jump a little awkwardly, landed really awkwardly. He wakes up in the hospital. He wakes up, and the first thing is he's on all jacked up on pain medicine and has been through a surgery is, 
You've broken five vertebrae in your back. <coughs> you have shattered your T6. And you're never going to walk again. You're never going to walk again. So here's a guy whose legs have kind of defined his whole life. And those legs, they don't work anymore. And you better believe that they prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and people rallied around them. And oh my goodness, you know, so many supporting people. My friend Laura was there, literally, she just, she just moved to that hospital room and, and months and months and months of, of rehab, intense. You gotta relearn everything, everything you have to relearn, basic everything, okay? And grueling, physically demanding, exhausting, emotionally, spiritually, mentally. And this kid fought. He fought so hard, determined to fight back. He has made an incredible recovery over the past 10 months. Incredible. He's um, gotten fitted with one of these cars where you can, you can drive with just your hands. You don't need your legs. So he's able to get himself around. He's actually back at Penn State for his junior year. He's back in classes this semester. He's, uh, he's assistant coaching for the soccer team. He watches film and he you know, encourages his teammates and, and he's there in the trenches with them. And, uh, and then one of the things that he's, he's doing pretty much six days a week is he's training. He's training for Paralympic competition. And um, yeah, there he is in uh, training for a, a, a wheelchair race. So I had the opportunity to catch up with him this week because I'm telling you, this guy, Brett, man, he, he is such an inspiration. There's local papers are writing about him. Everybody's talking about him. He is literally, he inspires everybody around him with his comeback story. And I, I caught up with him a couple days ago on the phone, called him up at Penn State, and I said, man, like, tell me, this has been a crazy last 10 months. Like, I mean, what's that, what's that been like for you? And, and you got to understand, so much prayer, you know, so many miracles in terms of encouraging him along in his journey. We talked about many, many different things, and I talked with his mom about many things. But what rises to the top is... He, he, we basically were debriefed. I was like, wasn't this just devastating to find out that you couldn't walk again? I mean, how did you process that? How did you work through that? What did the grieving look like? He said, you know, he said, I did a ton of grieving. He said, and usually when it would happen, you know, you're surrounded by people, you're doing your rehab, you've got everybody there, but like late at night when it's dark and you're laying in bed and you just realize, I'm never going to walk again. I'm never going to walk again. And he said over and over and over, he just, he grieved that and, and grieved that all of these hopes and dreams that he had were being redirected. And he said to me, you know what, Derek, I want to just tell you, because I told him I was going to be sharing his story with you guys. And he said, you know, also what's important for me to say is I still grieve. I still have days. This kid is so positive. He's so driven. He's so inspiring. He still has days where he is deeply grieved. Okay, he's still processing. He's 20 years old. It's important that you hear me. When we talk about grieving and leaving, this isn't some like you just do one and then you stop and then you just do the other. It's not, it's not that clean like that, okay? But the, the deal is that at some point, 
you start having fewer and fewer days where you're grieving. And it just becomes occasional here and there. And more of the time is spent on the leaving and moving on. And so I said, when did that turning point happen for you, Brett? And he said, well, several different factors. But he said, you know, when I was in rehab, I met this guy named Jared Wallace. And um, Jared actually came and spoke to all of us who were rehabbing at this rehab center. And uh, Jared was a Paralympic sprinter who lost his leg and so was running on one leg and he said this guy had so much faith so positive so driven like just unbelievable and he said Brett said in that moment he caught a vision for what his life could be like he said you know there he gave me direction it gave me focus it helped me to see that my life is going to go on and there's an incredible future ahead and i can do so much good stuff and i, I said do you like did you ever kind of catch the vision you were going to be an inspiration he's like oh man he's not even thinking about being an inspiration he's just trying to put one foot in front of the other you know just trying to move forward so the deal with all this is that ultimately, what Brett did was he came to a point, he grieved and he grieved and he grieved and he grieved. And then he caught a vision. And he realized, you know what? I can't stay in this place forever. I need to embrace my new reality. There is a new normal. And one of the things that Brett said, I love this quote. He said, you know what? This, he goes, Derek, this stays with me. He says, every single one of us in this world has challenges. Every single one of us has limitations. He says the only difference between everybody and me is that you can see mine. But we all have challenges and limitations. So he's just moving forward with God's help, just embracing that. And man, he is such an incredible inspiration to everybody that he's around. So I'm going to ask this question one more time, and then we're going to pray, and we're going to stand and sing this last song together. Is there something that you need to grieve? Is there something that you've been bottling up that you need to process through? Is there something that you maybe need to stop grieving because it's time to move on and leave? I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to sing this last song. Lord God, we thank you for this story and what it reminds us about this healthy process that as human beings, God, as your children, we need to go through this. Lord, none of us want to go through a grieving process. If we've been bottling stuff, we don't, we don't want to grieve it. Lord, we're going to need your help to be able to grieve. We're going to need your help to be able to unbottle and process and get in touch with this stuff, God. I pray for those who need to do that. I pray for your strength, your help, your understanding. And Lord, I just pray just as gently as you possibly can, you would come alongside those who are still at the graveside, God, and it's time to turn and go. And I pray you would just remind them that they can go with you and that they're not leaving it on the sidewalk, but God, they're leaving it in your hands. You are good. You are mighty. You are powerful. And Lord, you do have a great future for them. The better things 
are to come. Lord, as we just sing out this last song, we're reminded that in our own strength, we don't have the desire to do this. We don't know how to do this. But with your help, with your power, God, with your ability, we can do what we need to do to be made healthy and whole again. So we focus not on ourselves, but we focus on you, our great I am, the one who is holy and powerful and mighty. And Lord, we're just going to stand and we're going to sing this song. And just for a minute, we're going to lose ourselves in you and allow you to redirect us to what's possible in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Grace Community Church, a church for people who don't go to church, meets on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. in Arlington, Virginia. Connect with us anytime at trygrace.org.